Welcome to the Family OS Podcast. I'm Kate. And I'm Tanner. We're obsessed with creating the family life we desire, and we call it the Family Operating System. Join us each week to learn how to improve communication, be in control of your future, and love life. Welcome to the Family OS Podcast. My name is Kate. I'm here with my husband, Tanner, today. Love it. And we have a great friend of ours as our special guest today, Tim Ringold. He is a board-certified music therapist, a columnist, author, host of the Reduce Your Stress podcast and the Stress Elimination Summit. He has also provided music therapy to thousands of teens and adults to help them lower anxiety and reduce pain. Tim is also an award-winning international speaker, having shared the stage with some of the top minds in music, the brain, personal development, which also includes Tony Robbins. Uh, I am extremely excited to have you on because one, I have such a love of music. So much of our audience, you know, comes from my music background. And so Tim, thank you very much for being a part of our podcast today. It's really great to be with the two of you. I'm just so excited about our time together. Yeah. And so we got to know each other really well, you know, over just a couple of days, we had such, such intense conversation and deep conversation when uh, we were part of this event in Dallas not too long ago. Um, and we, we really started to build this friendship. So um, one of the things that I really just want to just first dive into, sort of set the scene, is why is music so effective for people's well-being? Yeah, there's, uh, you know, the great thing about talking about music is I, I've never introduced it to anybody. There's this great thing, you know, you've never heard of it before. Oh, come on. It's swell. You got to check it out. It's called music. Never happened. You know, uh, it's, it's this, it's this wonderful conversation about a very close personal friend of ours. What my music does for me, your music does for you. And that's one of the things that's really unique about music is it's personal. It's reflective to each one of us as we need it. And so when we use music, because we use music, each one of us prescribes ourself music. I mean, that's really what a playlist is. Uh, or uh, back in the day, you know, uh, I might date myself here, but a mixtape. You prescribe I yourself, right? Remember those? Come on, kids. <laughs> oh, I totally made mixtapes. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, and so you would curate experiences and create experiences for yourself. And music can support us in all kinds of different functions throughout our day, uh, whether we want to focus better, whether we want to work out longer, whether we want to stay alert on a, on a road trip, you know, or stay calm during a commute. Music can support things that we're doing as we're focusing on something else. Music allows our brain to actually operate more efficiently. And so it really allows our brain to kind of turbocharge. It really, it recruits all the different subregions of the brain to process the music so that your whole brain lights up whenever you're on it. Now, that's really cool. Uh, And we've all had that experience when you're like working out or working to music and you feel like you're getting in the zone, but there's a much, there's a much deeper level to music. Music is really, um, it's well, first of all, it's, it's, it's part of the human experience. There's no culture that's been discovered that didn't have music. It's, it's, it's it's a part of every known culture and all moms sing to all babies in all cultures, the same way using the same melodic patterns. It's as if we're built 
to experience and connect through music. It really throughout human history has been social glue. It's something that brings us together, builds a bridge between humans and connects us. And the thing that connects us can be one of the elements, whether it's the rhythm or whether it's a melody, it takes many and turns it into one. And it does it through play. Now, a lot of tools we use in our world as adults, we, we work. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to come home and I'm going to have yard work. work. And then there's house work, right? And I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to work out, right? And then I'm going to take time off from work and I'm going to attend seminars and workshops. We just, as adults, we work, 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 work. And yet, what is the button that you press to turn on the music? the play button and you don't say this i work guitar you say i I play guitar (laughs) yeah right right so there's this there's this field of music which is the field of play and as adults we kind of divorce ourselves from the field of play in our activity and we surround ourselves in the field of work which is very stressful It, it it requires different things from us and it's very tiring emotionally physically cognitively spiritually and socially so Music allows us to tap into something that's immensely restorative, which is this field of play, which is what we reside in when we're children. And it's one of the reasons parents and kids miss each other's communications so easily because kids reside in the field of play and parents reside in the field of work. And so they look through that lens at what the other is doing and they misunderstand and they miscommunicate. And one of the things music allows us to do is to connect very easily, very effortlessly inside of the field of play. So when we make music together, most of us would say like, oh, do I got to get a guitar to make music? It's like, no, no, no. If you can tap or snap or clap, you know, any way you use your body just to engage with music, music allows like the, the requirement is that you have to be present. And so it's, it's this wonderful tool that allows us all to be in the same place at the same time, mentally, emotionally as well as physically, because you've had this experience where you're physically in the room with your kids or with your spouse, but someone mentally is not there. And it's obvious to everybody, but that person, (laughs) (laughs) you're like the last to get it, you know? Hello. Hello. I see you looking off into space. I can tell you're not making eye contact with any living things in the room. What? (laughs) Really? Yes, I'm right here. Yeah. And so music is time-based baby. So it takes place on the beat. And the beat takes place in the present. So if you want to engage with the music, you got to be on the beat, which means you got to be present. And so, so music, engaging with music in any way that's natural with our body allows us to become present and it automatically connects the two of us. So let's say I'm having issues. We're having like a relationship issue. Well, that kind of direct confrontation might be kind of intimidating. People don't want to connect with another person. But if there's music playing and we both start tapping along with the beat or singing the lyrics together, now we've connected with each other by proxy of the music. The music has built the bridge of connection between us and we didn't have to do it directly. And, you know, sometimes you're just like, ah. I don't know how to connect or I don't want to connect or uh, Mm -hmm. the music is this mutual friend between us. And it just allows us to connect naturally 
in the field of play, which is why one of the greatest moments in my house is whenever I am singing along with anything that my daughter is into. I don't care about the music per se. I care about the connection. So whether we're listening to the Hamilton soundtrack or Phantom of the Opera, I hate musical theater as a genre. (laughs) I hate it. It's like nails on a chalkboard to me personally. It's not my style. That's why God invented headphones. I can listen to what I want. You can listen to what you want. But my daughter loves musical theater. So giddy up. Let's sing along to whatever it is. Now, occasionally there are soundtracks that have music in there that I actually do like some of it. And lucky for me. (laughs) But it's the connection that's occurring inside of the music. That's where the gold is. And, you know, in our culture, we think about music as entertainment or education, and we really forget that there's this much deeper level that music taps into uh, between human beings and has for tens of thousands of years. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I don't even know where to go from there. <laughs> like, there's just so much, so much. And that's not what I expected to learn. Yeah, like, that's, that's, right? that, that's fascinating. Right? And like, as you say, I'm like, uh huh, uh huh. Uh-huh. But that's like literally hundreds of hours, thousands of hours of your research and like yeah. putting this all together to be like, hey, In what, like this is why it binds us together. Yeah. That I mean, just phenomenal. listening to, I was thinking, oh, well, we should, we should all have like a, a favorite song. We can pick a favorite song and, it's how the family can all and the kids can help out when we clean up after dinner or, you know, or, or whatever it is. Right. Or just like everyone gets to pick a song in the car because, you know, we all have something that we want to listen to. That's that's different. Like you said, you don't want to listen to musical, uh, you know, theater music, but same thing. We've got different preferences and just a way to still connect and appreciate the individuality of each person in the family. So absolutely. And one of And one of the other things that I wanted to point out is that how you use music to connect when there's disconnect within the relationship. And, you know, we see that a lot, you know, and and even Tanner and I, what was that a few months ago where like we, we weren't talking, I mean, it, it, it takes a lot for us to go more than 24 hours if we're, we're not, you know, on the same page here, but. It's like a physical it's, uncomfortableness oh, it's that we both feel that we're like, okay, okay we we're got, not really getting along right now, but we're also not committed to resolving <laughs> this. So well, well, let's just it, walk around our house uncomfortable. Well, and there was a, while yeah, and there was a period where it kind of extended a little longer than usual. And I was like, are we going to like, not like communicate here? And he was like, oh no, we're communicating. We're just not using words. And I'm like, oh yeah, true story. <laughs> but what we... <laughs> But what we, but, but just to have something as simple as like, well, if we could play a song, you know, a song yeah. that we both know that we like, or that triggers something, you know, or, or even like, I know I'm ready to talk. Maybe I don't know if he's ready to talk. Maybe if I play a song that I know he loves, then that would help break that wall to start the conversation, right? Yeah, that's so, awesome. It's like right? a stigma. Like, yeah. Come in, come, come in. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm ready, you know, like, are you ready yet? You know, and I, we encounter that with couples where it's, they're just, they're disconnected. They don't even know how to start the conversation. And here's a way that they can. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, in our culture, we are all in on talking as communication. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk yeah. about it. Do you want to talk about it? Maybe you should talk about it. I think you'd feel better if you just talk about it. I think you need to talk to somebody about it, right? Talk, 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 talk is like, we are all in on talk. Now talk is a good tool. It can absolutely build a bridge, but it's not the only tool. And sometimes it's the wrong tool. Like, you know, for there's this great uh, author named John Bradshaw, and he had this quote about emotion, and I just love it. And it's uh, emotion just is like, it's like, and this is this part's from me. It's like email, you know, how email is short for electronic mail. We're all old enough to remember that. But the teens I work with, they don't actually know that fast fact. They just think the word is just email, right? I'm yeah. like, no, the E stands for something. They're like, no way. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, way. I swear electronic mail. They're like, whoa, like Bill and Ted, you know, like, whoa. Yeah. And you mean like we haven't always not, had eBooks? Right. That's yes. not just uh, a word. No, it's not just a word, kids. I know before there was you, there was me. And I have things that I know. And That's he just true. quoted Bill and Ted too. <laughs> We're covering the gamut here. Strap in folks. All right. So we, you know, we oftentimes go all in on these words, but sometimes, you know, emotion what John Bradshaw said is that E in emotion is really energy in motion. Mm. So we feel energy in our body, right? We think thoughts in our head, but we feel energy in our body. Like when you're really anxious about going on stage, you've got butterflies in your head. No, in your stomach. Yeah. You feel that energy in your body. When you've been dumped, are you broken headed? <laughs> no, right. You're broken hearted. hearted. Yeah. yeah. That you feel that physical pain in your chest. It's like, uh, I just got punched with a sledgehammer in my sternum. I can't breathe right now. I'm feeling this energy in my body. And when you're stressed for a long period of time, there's usually some body part that really is like the scapegoat. It like takes the abuse. And after thousands of clients, I can tell you routinely, I'll go around the room when you're feeling stressed out, where does it show up in your body? Bing, shoulders, bing, chest, bing, stomach, bing, neck, bing, jaw. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's in your body. Right. Yeah. So sometimes this emotion, this energy is in our body. And what we're trying to do with words is translate energy into language. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's a one-to-one -one correlation. Sometimes there's not, you, you know, you know, this from your own experience. And if you're listening to my voice, you know, this too. It's like, how are you feeling? Mm -hmm. Case in point, I'm in a men's group. We had a meeting today and the way they open the men's group is they say like, a check-in, right? It's common in, in, in different types of group uh, work. And it's what's one word to describe you, how you're feeling physically. And what's one word to describe how you're feeling mentally, emotionally. I needed an adjective. I really did. Then I, I needed two. shock. Listen to me, right? I needed two, right? Of course I did. That's why I'm not on Twitter. Can't say anything, but I needed another word. One word didn't paint didn't create the world of my experience. Mm. And for many of us, sometimes there's no word that paints the world of our experience in the moment, or we've heard ourselves say the word so often we can hear the reverberation of the past times we've mm. said it and we don't even want to hear ourselves speak. Yeah. Or we know that no matter what we say, 
the person we're saying it to isn't listening. They're just waiting to talk. So we think, why bother? And so words can sometimes build a bridge, but then sometimes they also, it's, they're like a, language is like a toll booth for emotional expression. And if you think about emotional expression, it's just, how do I get this energy that I'm feeling in my body out? I'm not trying to give it to you. I'm just trying to get it out of me. That's what express means. It just means to squeeze out. So when we talk about express yourself, what we're talking about is self work. Like I am trying to get this energy out of my body. Once it's out, that's the point. But then we have loved ones in our life who then take that energy personally. They think about that phrase, take it personally. The verb is take. They reach out and they take that energy and they put it on themselves. They say, this must be about me. I did this to you. Oh, you're saying this is my fault. No, no, no. I didn't say any of that. Or they get upset for you. And then you say, well, I love this person and now they're upset and I don't want to make them upset. So I'm not going to bring this to them anymore. And what'll happen most times is nothing will be said at all. It'll just be a thought. I am over here attempting to get this energy out of my body. I use language to do it. The person over there reacts in a way that I deem negative. I make a snap judgment. Oh, uh oh, I'm either getting scolded right now or judged or they're in pain. And I have a thought. And the thought is, well, I love this person. Clearly I can't come to them with this, but I never say that out loud. I just think it. And then I make a decision on it. And now language has built a wall instead of a bridge. So what do we do? Well, we need other tools. We need tools to allow that energy out of our body without talking about it. Because sometimes words are just the wrong tool and enter music. And the way that works is we can either make the music ourselves, whether we're singing, drumming, or strumming, when we move our body, we move that energy. No words required. Or someone else has said it better than we could ourselves. And there's a song out there that says it best. And you can talk about a song that really resonates with you right now. And then the other person can listen to the song. And now they're listening to the song. They're not listening to you. They're listening to the song, but by proxy, they're listening to you. And they can get where you're coming from because it's coming from someone else. Because sometimes we're just too close. We're just too invested. We're too close. We need to hear it from someone else. And that's why one of the reasons why Adele's records are so amazing is she's given language to so many of our experiences because it's like, who hasn't had a broken heart? Yeah. But who wants to talk about it? I don't necessarily want to talk about it, but when she talks about it, I feel heard. I feel understood. I can share that now. I'm not alone. Bam. So you have two uh, techniques slash formulas that you you teach on sober and uh, Vero. Is that how you Yeah, Vero. Yeah, Vero. Yep. Right. So, so I'd love for you to just, I, I know there's sort of a little bit different processes here, but both relevant to our audience in how to have that rhythm in life and work that you use with sober, but also overcoming, you know, the trauma, the struggle, like the, the life stuff that we really like that's dark and deep and you've dealt with much loss in your life. And I know some, many people listening have as well and, and, and dealing with those traumatic experiences um, and how how you've been able to help people through that. So if you can kind of just touch on those two um, formulas, then it, you know, sure. it would be very helpful to our audience. Yeah, sure. So the uh, the sober method is uh, 
what I use in my clinical work with people who are struggling with uh, depression or anxiety, self-harm, addiction, uh, and addiction just being an attempt to self-medicate and regulate depression, anxiety, (laughs) trauma, that's Stress, really, yeah, like yeah, all of that, right? yeah, let's, let's be yeah. really clear, really clear. Let me just set this up properly, which is that, you know, addiction is not a problem. Addiction is a bad solution to mm. a problem. Yeah. So uh, where we don't, we don't find, what, what, how do I say this? We don't find people craving who aren't under stress because only the stressed brain craves. And we find very few people in addiction who don't have underlying trauma. And when I say very few, anecdotally, you can talk to anybody out there. They'll be like, uh, none of my clients <laughs> don't have underlying pain that they're dealing with, which is either physical, emotional, social, or spiritual in nature. So, um, you know, two, two things there. Um, but what music allows us to do is it, it's kind of like this really effective and efficient tool for self-regulating. And for years I would try to describe it clinically and no one would ever remember it. So one day my wife and I were on a road trip and I was like, we need an acronym because people remember acronyms. It's useful. So five hours later, we took all the clinical benefits of music therapy and turned it into the word sober uh, in order to help people understand the value of music for their own well-being. So the S is for stay present. So music, when you are engaging in music as opposed to listening to music. So when you engage in music making, music requires you to stay present because it's time-based and you're activating your body in the present moment. Your body is always present regardless of your mind. So any tool that get pulls you out of your head uh, or out of somewhere else for that matter uh, <laughs> and, and gets you back connected with your body Now you're present. Now you have control in the present because you have control uh, to some degree over your body. You have zero control over the past. You have zero control over the future. And the brain knows that the mind knows that at a deep level, that's distressing to the mind. The mind does not like to perceive or focus on situations where it has the perception of no control. That's distressing. It likes to be in positions where it knows that it has some agency, some, some ability to do something. And that's only in the present moment. So tools that keep us present. Yes, please. Music making being one of them, right? Music allows us, like we were talking about before, it allows us to open up and get that emotion out of us without having to talk about it. So you can drum or you can strum or you can sing uh, and you can chant, you can scream and you don't need any words per se to express that energy. Um, No words required. Particularly if you have trauma in your history, what they found in clinical research is that actually talk therapy is uh, ineffective for treating trauma compared to nonverbal experiential modalities like music therapy, dance therapy, or dance and movement therapy, uh, EMDR, Mm -hmm. things that require physical movement. Music allows us to be creative because to make music, it's inherently creative. You are creating sound in the moment. What people don't realize is being creative is different than being artistic. See, being artistic is very is a very specific application of creativity. But if you think about creativity is the muscle we use to solve problems. 
We don't usually think about creativity in that way. But when you are faced with an obstacle, in order to solve the problem, you have to think differently about the problem until you come up with a solution. That's your creativity at work. It's a very pragmatic part of your life. Now, where do problems show up as in a lot of our lives? In the form of people, (laughs) right? So people are problems. Relationships are where the problems often are. So the, the greater that we can build our creativity because creativity is not a fixed asset. It's a, it's a skill set that you can develop. So just like muscles. So you, when you work out in the creativity gym, your ability to problem solve improves your frustration tolerance improves. Now, who do we get? Where do we get frustrated with people? So if we, if we have the ability to stay in communication, in connection, in relationship with people for longer periods of time as a result of our music making, wow, that's an incredibly cool connection that nobody would ever make on their own. So that's why I'm thrilled to kind of help people connect those dots. Yeah, that's awesome. Isn't that neat? Yeah. Uh, the E is for escape stressors. Listen, the, um, there's this old commercial from the seventies when I was a kid and Calgon, take me away. <laughs> yeah. might've been the eighties. I don't know, but I definitely <laughs> just dated myself for all of you yeah. listening. And, and the whole idea was this mom is all stressed out and she wants to take a bath to just escape the stress. <laughs> that is a normal, normal response. When we, when the stress is in the present, we want to escape mm-hmm. the problem with reaching for what we typically reach for, which are screens today. Uh, Cause you know, some people will reach for the fridge or they'll reach for, you know, the liquor cabinet, uh, but, or, or their, you know, the medicine cabinet, but the, the easy one today is screens. Yeah. And the challenge with reaching for screens to escape is most of those experiences are open-ended meaning there's no, so there's no end to my feed on Instagram. Yeah. There's no end to my wall in uh, Facebook. There's no end to what's being recommended on YouTube. There's no end to the content that's being recommended or auto-played for that matter, whether yeah. it's YouTube or Netflix, right? Yeah. I have found my nine-year-old son asleep on the couch at in 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning and YouTube's still playing. Wow. Yeah. There's no end, right? <laughs> so- yeah. What do we do? Yeah, I know. It's kind of terrifying. Um, But what happens when we get stressed? What do we do? Well, it's just so easy to reach for our phone and swipe. And then suddenly we're lobotomized, right? We're just, it takes our mind off of whatever was just stressing us out. But we just suddenly it's dark and we're hungry and the kids are screaming. And where are my pants? You're like, what just happened? You know, like who just abducted me? Oh, my phone. And that's, you know, that's normal, uh, very normal experience for human beings. So if we can reach for closed ended experiences. So ladies and gentlemen, let me reintroduce you to an album. (laughs) Let me reintroduce you to a playlist, right? A playlist has a, you, you curate it. So you begin not a Spotify playlist because those things can be days long. (laughs) Your own playlist that you put three to five songs on it. That yeah. even a what I call the power playlist, just three songs that fire you up like Rocky, you know, yeah. 10 minutes later, your nervous system is reset. You're no longer in reactivity mode and you're back at your best. Yeah. So music is a healthy way for us to escape the present moment. And then the last thing music allows us to do is reconnect. And as mammals, we're pack animals. We're really designed to do life in groups from cradle to grave. There's at no point of the human design are we to actually live alone. 
Now, we have this idea about individualism. That's different than independence. We are designed to be interdependent. You, the three of us, could not calculate how many people were responsible for the connection we're experiencing over Zoom right now. Yeah. Yeah. We have no idea how many people it took to manufacture my microphone, my pop filter, the cable that goes out to my wall, to the inter- internet, to the ethernet, to the lights, to the razor, uh, you know, uh, camera I'm using to the laptop, right? Just down, 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 down the list. Being human is a shared experience. So whenever we feel disconnected as humans, that creates dis-ease. And one of the things that's great about music is music doesn't judge us or scold us for how we think, feel, or act. That's why a team can feel more connected in their bedroom with their earbuds in by themselves than in their living room around their family, because the music isn't going to judge, scold, or do anything. It's just going to accept them exactly the way they are, exactly the way they're feeling for exactly what they just did five minutes ago. It's really important to us as humans. We just want to be like understood and accepted the way we are, warts and all. And we all have this deep, deep fear that if you knew what I was thinking or you knew what I was feeling or you knew the website I was just on five minutes ago, you're, you might change the way you think about me. You might withhold your love from me. I might get in trouble, right? So we begin this careful curation process in order to present this curated self that will receive the conditional love that we've been getting from the world around us. That's rough. That's tiring. Music doesn't require any of that. And that's why as teens, it's part of our DNA. So when you put all that together, it creates the sober acronym and it really gives you this sense that, wow, music's not just a tool for entertainment or education, but it's really a tool for self-regulation, for connection, for well-being. It's something I can reach for on a daily basis as a part of my physical, my emotional, my social, and my spiritual hygiene. And it's not just effective, it's efficient because when I make music, it automatically I stay present. I open up, I'm being creative, I'm escaping stress and I'm connecting all at the same time. It's like tick, 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 tick. So it's a great tool along the way for us to manage the, the hurdles of being human. I mean, this coming from a hard rock music background, I feel like this is I mean, it resonates so much with me and especially with the people who I've met over the years in in radio that how connected they are to their, to their music, to the energy they get off of uh, either either their music itself or the words that are being said, or, you know, I mean, there's just, it's, it kind of goes along with a bit of the stereotype that's out there, you know, with um, the, the misfits, right. Of the hard rock world and yep. their connection to music, but, but there's such a, a deeper level to what's going on and why it is what it is like, and what this, this reality is for this, for this particular audience. So it's a um, lifeline for a yeah. lot of teens. You know, yeah. I, if you want to, you want to be inspired, go on to YouTube and read the comments on the official videos of songs that are really intense. Yeah. Yeah. And you will see comments like this song kept me alive. Yep. This song got me, this song saved my life. This song got me through this. This song got me through that. I had a fan walk up to me after a show and tell me that an exact story about how my music kept him from committing suicide. And I was just like, 
whoa, right? Like that's really intense. But in that moment, in his bedroom, he wasn't alone. I was yeah. with him by proxy because my CD was in his disc changer. And so music allows us to feel that deep interpersonal connection, that un, uh, just unfiltered connection that just like, yeah, dude, whatever. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I felt that too. Yeah, that part, that part, particularly the the parts that we don't want to show in a social setting, like the uncurated, the the non-Instagram, the like the, you know, the thing that we would never show people that we just said, thought, or did. That's because of cancel culture. We're afraid of our dark side. But all these artists out there have written about their dark side. They've sung about their dark side. They have opened themselves up to say, I have this dark side. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, thank God I'm not the only yeah. one. Phew. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's really like what we want. I mean, it's why, and particularly over the last eight, 18 plus, whatever, you know, almost two years now of this uh, pandemic scenario that like we're all pulled out to be alone and isolated and, and, and the mental health that's, that's being affected because of it. And yet we just want to be with someone else and yep. we want to know that we're not alone and that our problems, like someone shares some similar experience to us. Yes. Right. And, yes. and yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, thank God that recorded music didn't go away along with concerts during these 18 months. Yeah. Um, you know, things were bad enough, but, and I am super excited for the day in which, you know, we're, we're a hundred percent free to go to concerts. Like the Foo Fighters just got canceled Saturday night and I had tickets for my wife's birthday. And oh, no uh, one of the guys in the, in the team and the production team had got COVID and now they had to cancel. They were going to play the forum and reopen the forum. And I was so excited for this communal experience and with my brothers and sisters, I've never met before. Right. Because right. that's what happens when you go to a concert is you're around people who you've never met, but you feel good around yeah. because the, this common friend. And if you think about it, if you ever go to a party and you're one of your good buddies is at the party and they're talking to someone you don't know. And you kind of walk up because you know your good buddy <laughs> and your good buddy says, oh, hey, I want to introduce you to this person. There's oh, I know you guys will hit it off. Great. You're like. Well, right on. Hey, how's it going? I'm blah, 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 blah. And you start to connect immediately, right? Now, if you had seen that person on the street and that person walked up to you without any introduction and just started going, hey, I'm blah, blah, blah. It's great to meet you. You'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Right. slow your roll. Who are you? Like you're, right. you'd have this, this guard, this appropriate like social armor, this shield would be up. But because of your buddy, you drop your shield and you borrow the trust and credibility of your friend, your buddy, and you extend it to this new stranger. Your friend, your buddy is the mutual friend. And so you hit it off right away. Music's the mutual friend between any one of us. Yeah, We trust it. We feel safe around it because it doesn't backstab us. It doesn't post pictures about us online. It doesn't stop if we can't like remember the lyric or we can't keep up with the beat or, or we're a little pitchy as Paula would say, you're a little pitchy. Yeah. Paula, how about, I got something for you, you know, like <laughs> let it rip. I don't care if you're pitchy, let it rip. The music isn't going to stop. Just it's going to keep going and it's going to let you be exactly who you are. And so that's what we love. It's this safe space. So it connects us to people that we otherwise might have, you know, kind of this armor and, 
my, you know, how many of my best friends did I meet at shows? Right. Like I, that was our mutual friend. Like my dad one day, why do you hang out with these people? Well, we like the same music. It's, and why do you, and it never crossed his mind. Like, well, why do you like the same music? (laughs) (laughs) Well, dad, maybe it's because our dads judge the crap out of us and we feel totally stifled. And when we go to these shows and we listen to this really intense music, we feel like we can let loose and just raw, let out all that repressed anger we have towards you. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember talking to a friend. I mean, yeah. Some of my closest friends are all because I met, you know, somehow, some way, uh, at at a rock show. Um, and what, what was interesting, I was talking with one of my, one of my good friends about how he, he was, he was having this conversation with another person trying to understand like the mosh pit, like just what is, what is this about? And, and so my friend proceeded to be like, well, you know, they got some stuff going on and quite frankly, I'd rather them go and, uh, mosh around in a pit and just kind of push on other guys or, you know, or the girls that are in there or whatever. Um, versus like going home and beating their wife or, you know, drinking themselves to oblivion or whatever, you know? So, I mean, yes. and that's the thing, like it's, yes. there is some, some release, you know, you get the angst out yes. um, and it doesn't always have to be, you know, we're, we're talking about hard rock music. It doesn't necessarily have to be that you, you, you have your genre of choice. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's that release that you can have without judgment, which is um, uh, just a really good reminder of, sort of the background that I, that I come from. I know we were going to talk, we mentioned the, the, the Bureau and, um, and, and, and I, you know, you have some information on your website, but I really wanted to get to Tanner because, um, when we were, were talking in Dallas. Yeah, that's the yeah, hook. You got to yeah. go to Tim's website to get to the rest of the information. Right, right, right. Yeah, go to timregal.com. <laughs> we'll have all the links in the in the show notes. But yeah. I'm, a little a little mid-roll <laughs> ad for timregal.com. Yeah, there you go. Um, no, you know, when we were in Dallas and, and we were talking about the nuclear family and sort of the, you know, I'll just say some of the things that you, some of the decisions you've made to to stay where you are, to have grandparents in your life and all of those things and we're, you know, in this process of moving Kate's grandparents or Kate's parents Parents. out here, our kids will have grandparents closely, which, you know, is something that was important to Kate. I was like, okay, because you want it. Awesome. Let's make this happen. But there were some things, you know, we talked about just in terms of the importance of that. And I like, I would consider you like one of the great anthropologists, uh, just with, just with like what we talked about in Dallas. And now, now I'm like, literally Webster's and the encyclopedias like have all been put in there and organized <laughs> in a nice, neat way. Um, and I just want to tap into that from a, from a family perspective. You know, we, we help families. We, we know that the family has just continued to be more splintered and more splintered and more splintered. And that's kind of where we were talking about even just 100 years ago. There was more communal aspects now, you know, I would say not even just the nuclear family of mom, dad, and a couple of kids, like divorce now being over 50%, like it's gotten splintered from this multi-generational sort of takes a village, you know, quote unquote thing to raise kids down to like being a single parent is, is like the most common thing, which is super stressful and challenging. And so let's just talk about like family dynamics and sort of some of that, you know, history from, from your wealth of knowledge. Yeah. Well, that's very kind. I appreciate being thrown in there with Webster. Uh, that's a pretty good company to keep. So, uh, I'm trying to keep my, my head from expanding over on this side uh, in my, 
but I have a large ceiling, so it's going to be rough. Um, uh. But that was that was really cool. Um, yeah, you know, I think, and I, I had alluded to this a little bit, but in our culture, in, in the United States, Western culture is very much um, about the individual, and uh, kind of it, uh, it it creates this primacy, meaning this like the individual is first; it's most important. Uh, we have the we have this section of the uh, bookstore called self help, self help. That's a that's a construct of culture that's invented right you don't uh you when you when you dissect a human being right or you, you you don't you don't see culture but culture is the water like that the fish swims in it's invisible but it's all around it right yeah. and it in, it informs and influences and impacts the experience of that that thing whether it's the fish uh, or it's the human and in our culture we talk about this idea of self sufficiency that it's an idea. It's just, an, it's a thought. And what the track record, what the evidence shows is it's actually a disaster to be thinking in units of one. Uh, so if you look at, uh, and what I mean by that, the track record. So it's not up for debate because what you can do is you can measure um, symptomology over decades uh, of depression of anxiety, you can, you can observe, right. Behavior, right. Crime, violent crime, suicide, addiction, overdose. You can observe those behaviors. All of that has increased all of it. It's not up for debate. And it's, it's the, the rate of increase is quite alarming. Uh, but in my, uh, observation, what I've noticed is as the family unit broke down to a single biological pod of mom, dad, and 2.5 kids, something changed in the United States. And, and part of it was the divorce rate. Divorce rate went, whoop, started to go up, continues to go up. And what I've observed is that as we continue to try to parent individually, that the outcomes are seemingly continuing to be poor, that it's actually not working. The idea of a single parent being sufficient for the emotional attunement and attachment needs of a child, it's not working. And that's not to say anything against anyone's effort. I'm just looking at the results, right? So the results are that when we had multi-generational families for tens and tens of thousands of years, the grandparents who had all the knowledge and wisdom uh, actually spent most of the time with the kids while the parents were doing the work, the heavy lifting of uh, what there was to do for gathering whatever was that needed to be gathered for raw materials for the family, for its survival. But the real knowledge and wisdom downloads didn't come from the parents. And the idea of parenting as a verb is only 40 to 50 years old in the United States. It wasn't even used as a verb in, uh, prior to world, ah, prior, geez, I think the seventies is when the first, like when it became this in vogue to start say parenting is like a verb. Mm. So that's a really interesting concept to me. Like we're not equipped. That's what it tells me. It tells me that as a species, this wasn't the design. Like I said earlier, by design, humans aren't meant to live alone like a bear. When it becomes an adult, it can live on its own. Not humans, not, not our design. No, we're pack animals by design and existed quite successfully for you know, millennia. 
millennia, tens and tens of thousands of years. So like on a 12 hour clock, it's like 1159 and 59 seconds. And we're like, self-sufficient seems like a good idea. No, actually it's gone horribly wrong. So observing all of this data, it led me to the conclusion that I should probably stick around the grandparents, whether I want to or not, it's probably going to lead to improved outcomes. Uh, there are all kinds of key performance indicators for positive outcomes for kids. One of the things that's not a positive outcome for kids is divorce. It's, it's pretty, you can go read the literature. It has really impact impacts the emotional development of kids because of their developmental egocentrism. It's nothing against them. They just see themselves at the center of the universe. So anything that breaks down around them must be because of them. They don't have the ability to take themselves out of that equation developmentally when they're young children, nothing bad or wrong. That's just by design. So, you know, observing design and then paying attention to it and following it rather than just going, well, I'm just going to think something different. Uh, I, I, it seems like is is a wise move. It's it's what we did as a species where we when we followed the clues of nature for millennia, and then we decided we don't need to follow the clues of nature. We're we we exist above nature. We're we don't need to pay attention to it at all. Huh. Outcomes have become quite poor in in the world now for us. So these are the kind of things that I think about. And so we made the decision to stay physically within 30 minutes of my in-laws um, to give them the gift of grandparents and to, or to give them the gift of grandkids and to give my kids the gift of grandparents so that it doesn't all fall on my wife and my shoulders, that pressure uh, to be everything. Uh, there's another, you know, conversation around the idea of the soulmate, very recent invention in human culture. It, and it's, not even culturally universal. The marriage, are not only through time, but across cultures, doesn't equate to the same thing. So the roles that people play within marriage cross-culturally changes. It changes over time as well. So this idea that as one parent or two, you must be all things to each other and all things to your children is unrealistic. And it, it's just not been done before. And so there was probably a reason why, because it's not by design. We're pack animals. We live in community. We're supposed to be raised in community. That's how we have the best outcomes. As adults, we need community. We can't be the wisdom givers and the breadwinners at the same time because we can't be in two places at once. And this tears at the heart of every working parent in their 30s, 40s, and 50s because they can't be in two places at once. They either need to say goodbye to the corporate ladder in order to be home with their kid, or they need to pay someone else to raise their kid while they're making the money. And what I can tell you is I work with the kids whose parents went all in on the money and they didn't go all in on the relationship. And that relationship wasn't there at the beginning. And now 15 years later, they're trying to buy back that relationship with really expensive care. And the kids don't care about the money and they don't care about whatever the bigger picture was that you were all gung-ho for back then. They don't care about your corporate ladder. All they knew as an egocentric child that needed physical and emotional attunement and attachment was you weren't there. And now you're trying to make up for it and it's too late. You can't go back. So one of my mantras has always been, my son is my youngest child. And, you know, people are feel, they, you know, this, this is my, my thing, but Julian, he's nine today. 
he's only going to be nine once, right? But I have time, you know, to make money later when he doesn't need that connection with me at the rate he does now. And when he was two, I said the exact same thing. Julian's only going to be two right now. And he needs more connection from me than anything. And so I can go make money later, but I can't go back and be a dad to a two-year-old Julian when he's 17. So uh, I hope that rant kind of captures some of the observations and uh, that I've, I've been watching as we all go through at, at this, you know, this journey. Yeah. One, one of the other things that um, I had thought about when we were initially talking about this, and maybe you have some insight, growing up, I, when I heard nuclear family, I thought it meant mother, father, you know, and kids, right? It's mother, father. And of course, now we know family dynamics look differently than just a mother, father. But I thought it was about the fact that ch- children, and and you, you, you may have some insight on this or not, but that children do well, that there's, there's better development when they have the dynamic of a male and a female, right? And where, where, the, where the development of the child can actually suffer when there isn't that dynamic. Do you have any experience from, from that perspective? I don't. I would be uh, conjecturing even more than I already have been for yeah. the last few minutes. So uh, <laughs> cool. I, yeah, I just no, wanna, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I um because I just you know again we've seen how family has changed so much over the years. Yep. And just to understand like you know where again as you're observing like what what can we do from our place to be able to serve these families well, help parents be able to raise their kids to be you know sound and independent and yeah and and an asset to society you know i mean that's that's our goal for our children and and you know certainly to help other families do the same with theirs i think the biggest thing for families to to keep in mind is to be in a community of families mm-hmm. don't be a single family be a family in a community of families so what does that mean that could be church it could be sports it could be neighborhood. Uh, it could be your biological family where cousins and aunts and uncles are all around, brothers and sisters and laws. Be in a community of families. That is relatively low-hanging fruit. Yeah. That's not hard um, because our kids, once they become school-aged or even you know preschool-aged, start to be they start to join communities of children. Yeah. And then there are parents of those kids as well. And some of those parents you're aligned with some of you're not, but find the ones you are and create and curate that community because that is the design because the, your kids will hear your, let me say this, let me, cause it's going to have pronouns. I want to get it right. I'll give an example. My son, Julian has a friend, Ben. Ben's dad's name's Pete. Julian could hear me say something seven times, 17 times, 70 times. He's not going to pay attention because it's coming from his dad. Julian loves his buddy, loves his buddy, Ben, and thinks the world of his dad, Pete. Pete could say something to Julian once. Mm -hmm. Julian's going to listen because it didn't come from dad. Right. Came from Pete. And he's got a totally different listening of Pete than he does of dad. So that same piece of information, you guys know this, like it's why I had to pay Jeremy to give my kids swimming lessons to pass on the same knowledge of how to swim that I know and do because I swim. Didn't want to hear it from me. 
<laughs> nope. yeah. Sometimes you literally got to pay the guy or pay the gal to pass on the information that you know, because your kid doesn't want to hear it from you. So when you're in a community of families doing things together, they might observe something go down between Pete and Ben and Julian will be like, oh, Julian takes that himself because he's open to them because he has a different listening of them than he does of wah, 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 you know, because he hears your voice every day. Right. If I, if I had a dollar for every time I said, Julian, clear your place. Oh man, I'd be filthy rich. Cause it's like three times a day, every day for nine years. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't do math, but the point is like, I tell Julian to clear your place every day. I guarantee you that if Julian was over at Ben's house and Pete looked down at Julian and was like, Hey buddy, it's really important. After you finish a meal, clear your place every time when you're here. Okay. And you probably do your mom and dad proud. If you did that at home too, Julian would be like, Whoa, wow. Right. And I'd be like, yeah, I've been trying you. to tell you that forever. <laughs> and that's why it's we the messenger. Be, it's the messenger, yeah. not the message. That's why we need to be in communities of families and not trying to pass all of it on from the same person who's telling you to put away this shampoo or to <laughs> clean up after yourself. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, that, could, we could work on that too. Yeah, no, that, that makes, that makes tons of sense. And I mean, I think we found value in that. I think at having a daughter that's 10, the oldest, I've definitely recognized that uh, she has friends and then it's like sorting through, okay, do you really want to become friends with their parents? Like, how do you navigate that? And uh, I, I like the way that you say curate it because I feel like, I mean, that's to some extent what we've done. It's like, okay, from this school, from this activity, from this, but it's like, we don't hang out with all the kids from school or all the kids from a certain activity or all those families. So right, right. Um, again, yeah, be particular. Yeah, absolutely. Be, be selective. Um, so, so we're, you know, an hour into this thing. I feel like we could <laughs> probably do an entire part yeah. two. There's, there's a guitar sitting behind you, and I wasn't sure if you brought that for, for playing, if you want to go out on a song, or if it's purely cosmetic. Oh, we can always go out on a song. What are you talking about? Of course. Yeah. I, I, I figured as much. I awesome. figured as much. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I feel so, like all the all the talking of music, like maybe we end end on a little tune, and then, um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to figure out another way to, to continue to dive into this. Because two. I think, while I'm on it real quick, uh, you know, I think this, the divorce rate and, and what we're seeing in sort of the division and not the community is because people haven't learned enough of these tools that you're talking about, right? It's very tender. It's very hard. I mean, I think any marriage there, there's challenges, any relationship, there's challenges. And so we'd rather divide, we'd rather numb out, we'd rather write the people off and go, ah, oh, damn, we're both going to have to like dig in and do some work here yeah. because it's all from our past experience that we create these problems in the present. And so I just want to, you know, say thank you. I know that you're touching, you know, kids and adults and people everywhere with this modality. And like, I was like, Hey, you're a cool dude. But after listening to, <laughs> to this, I'm like, wow, there is a depth of knowledge and like rationale behind this. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure Kate appreciates that coming from the music world. It, it makes just a lot of things in our life make more sense now. So nice. Uh, yeah. Th thank, thank, thank you for that. Yeah. Oh, it's my pleasure. And, and it, it was so much fun when we 
met, you know, like the yeah. sparks were flying, you know, we were just like, <laughs> bing, 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 bing. It was like right out of the gate. And so yeah. it was like donkey from Shrek when he's like, let's do that again. Like, <laughs> when it came to the idea of getting to hang with you guys and have these like deep conversations, I was just like, let's do that again. So yeah. <laughs> having said that, you know, we never even got to Vero. So, you know, we can cycle yeah. back in six months and, and go down that because there's some really, really useful wisdom that that came out of our parenting experience with our special needs daughter who was born in 2009 and passed away in 2010. Uh, and mm -hmm. we ticked like some major credibility boxes of adversity and family stress. Like we have mm -hmm. been through it and we thrived yeah. through it. And so uh, yeah. I really am passionate about, you know, empowering other parents in the face of adversity. Like there's, you absolutely can get back on the front foot and there's just this simple four-step formula. And once you know it, you're just like, it's like balance. It's, you don't forget it. It's just, you have it. And so mm -hmm. it's like, I just want to teach them to fish and then they can go off and fish that kind of thing. So, yeah. so let's do this again. Yeah. Let's so we will definitely have right. you back. Sure. Okay. So the way I, I like to, and this is totally in line with this conversation today is I have kind of a mantra, a guiding mantra, uh, which is that, you know, sometimes we got to lean on our family. We got to lean on our friends. We got to lean on our pets. We're doing it right now. You got to lean on technology, you know? Uh, but my, my guiding mantra is that I lean on you and you lean on me and we don't keep score. And that mm -hmm. is community. Yeah. So, in the great words of Bill Withers, Lean on me when you're not strong. I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. For it won't be long till I'm gonna need somebody to lean on. Call on me, brother, when you need a hand. We all need somebody to lean on. I just might have a problem that you'll understand. We all need somebody to lean on. Lean on me when you're not strong. I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on for... It won't be long till I'm gonna need somebody to lean on. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. What an amazing way to round it out. Uh, thank you so much, Tim. We have uh, all the every all the information, timringle.com. Everything will be in the show notes. Uh, we'll definitely have to do a, a part two here. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Check Tim out online. I, uh, I bought some of his music and I love I never understood the concept of like the playlist, as you mentioned. it. So um, reach, reach for music and reach for Tim's music, right? Yeah, go make a playlist. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Family OS Podcast. We have a special gift that we'd love to give you. Text us the word POD, P-O-D, to 720-459-4219, and we'll text you back. Until next time.